If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Last week, we gave you the skeleton of our vision for who we are and where we are seeking to go as God's people here at Bear Cove. Uh, I like skeleton sermons. They are okay, but I certainly prefer the meat and a, of a specific passage that uh, will add tendons and muscles and, and ligaments and blood to that skeleton. And so last week we gave you the skeleton of where we are seeking to go. And today we begin adding the tendons and everything else to, to that skeleton. So I am excited over the course of these next several weeks, we're going to lay out a vision of who we are seeking to be as God's people here at Bear Cove. And today we're going to look at our first vision item, and that is we desire to be a people who are delighting in God. Remember last week we saw that delighting is supremely valuing something. It's finding supreme joy in a particular item. And we, we here at Bear Cove want to find our supreme delight, our greatest joy in God. We want to be a people who love and delight in God. And so that's what we're going to see today in John chapter 15, a very well-known passage. It is a chapter that you are likely familiar with, and it is the foundation to who we need to be as disciples of Jesus. And so today I want to speak to you about delighting in God. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. And we pray that you would speak to us now by your Holy Spirit and that you would be our teacher and that we would be a people who find our greatest delight in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to do something a little different this morning in introducing our sermon. I'm going to ask everyone except the security team to close your eyes for a little exercise, all right? Everyone except our security team, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I'm going to ask you to think about these things that I will mention. 
So with every, eye, with every eye closed, I want you to think about these things as I bring them to mind. Welch's point. The Smoky Mountains. Seeing your child's face for the first time. Seeing your grandchild's face for the first time. Your favorite meal. For some of you men, you're in a deer stand and a 17-point buck walks out, a trophy buck. For those of you who don't like to hit, who don't like to hunt, you catch a big fish. For the ladies this morning, the most delightful flowers you have ever seen. The sound of the waves crashing on the shore as you sit on the condo deck enjoying God's beauty at the beach. Your favorite vacation. January 4th, 1999, when Tennessee won the national championship. The God of the Bible. You can open your eyes. I want to ask you something this morning. What was that like for you? When you thought about perhaps creation or some of these things, I'm assuming that passion and delight came to your mind as you remembered some of these things. But when it comes to the God of the Bible, what is our immediate response? We can't put God in a box, can we? We can't put God to one specific memory. God is everywhere. You cannot limit His power What comes to mind when you think about God? And furthermore, do you delight and treasure Him? The goal for today's sermon is that we would be a people to see our need for the Savior. These moments, these places in God's creation remind us that we were created for worship. We were created to worship God. We were, create to, we were created to long and to know our Maker. Our greatest delight should be in who He is and what He has done for us. Scripture is not silent on the issue of delighting in God. As we saw last week, the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us was to love Him and to love our neighbor as ourself. God made us for something much more beyond these flesh and bones. The Bible is filled with passages about God's people delighting in Him. Our intercessory prayer text this morning, Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brook, so longs my soul for God. Think of Psalm 27. David writes, one thing I have asked, one thing I have inquired of the Lord, that I might dwell in his house forevermore. 
that I might gaze upon his beauty and see his power. You think of Luke chapter 10, Mary and Martha. Jesus comes into the house. Martha is busy about many things, but Mary is busy about one thing. And that is sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his teaching. And remember what Jesus taught. That Mary has sought that one necessary thing. And that is to sit at my feet and hear the Savior's words. We think of Luke chapter 24. When Jesus opens the scriptures to his disciples. And he says that everything in the law and the prophets and the Psalms is about me. And Luke notes for us that the disciples say that were our hearts not burning within us when he opened the scriptures to us. Next chapter over in Acts chapter 1, written by Luke, he will note that as the people gathered after the Savior left their presence, as the people gathered, they gathered in one accord and they devoted themselves to prayer. You see, scripture is filled with God's people pursuing and delighting in him. And what we see today in this passage in John 15 is this one important truth. Is that fruitfulness in the Christian life is not rooted in what we achieve for God, but in how we abide in God. Fruitfulness in the Christian life is not rooted in what we do or what we achieve for God, but it's rooted in how we abide in God. God never intended us for to do, 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 do without first delighting in him and trusting him. And Jesus, in John chapter 15, he is getting ready to leave this world. John chapters 14 through 16 will give us this teaching that Jesus is getting ready. He's preparing his disciples. I'm going back to where I came from. I'm going back to prepare a place for you. That's why when we sang in, in the song, Victory in Jesus, a mansion, Jesus promises his disciples that he's going back to eternity to prepare a place for them. And where he is going, they cannot go yet. He's telling his disciples, I will die. But what I love about John 14 through 16, and particularly in chapter 15, is that Jesus will give his disciples the promise of the Holy Spirit. And they will be filled with his power and with his promises. John chapter 14 through 16 gives his disciples hope that even though while Jesus is leaving, he will give his disciples the power of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, these, these disciples were Jews. They were Jewish, and they would have been familiar with the Old Testament. And we see the picture of a vine and a vineyard all throughout the Old Testament. These disciples would have been familiar with Isaiah 5 and Isaiah 27 and Psalm 80 that speaks of Israel being God's vine. Israel was God's vine and they failed to produce good fruit, good fruit which then incurred, incurred judgment from God. Isaiah chapter 27, verse 6. The promise from the Lord is that in the days to come, Jacob shall 
take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. Jesus in John chapter 15 is coming to fulfill what Israel could never fulfill. Jesus is coming to fulfill those promises as he tells his disciples that he is the vine and they are the branches. Furthermore, these disciples would have been familiar with the vine and branches. A vine and branches were on gold coins. The temple would have had a beautiful golden vine as people remembered that God was with them. And here in John 15, the Holy Spirit is going to be seen in the life of his disciples and those who will also believe in their messages. We're going to see, as we saw previously in John chapter 17. There's two points for us this morning in John 15. In verses 1 through 4, we see our roots. Our roots. And that's this truth is that fruitfulness begins by abiding in Christ. Our roots are in Him. And fruitfulness begins by abiding in Christ. And the second point we see in our text this morning is His results. That abiding in Christ produces not just fruit, but abiding in Christ produces much fruit for His glory. Fruit is not about us. Bearing and producing fruit is not about us. It's about God. And it's about who He is and what He wants to do in us as His people. So let's look first at our Roots, the truth that fruitfulness begins by abiding in Christ. We see in John 15, the last I am statement in his gospel. Jesus has said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus says here in John 15 that I am the true vine. We're going to see later on in this passage that he is the vine. But he begins by saying, I am the true vine, contrasting Israel's unfaithfulness with God's faithfulness. You see, Israel was unfaithful. Jesus is perfectly faithful in bearing fruit and working in his people. Jesus will tell us at the beginning of this passage that he is the true source of of life. Friend, let me ask you something this morning. Where are you finding your source of life? Where are you going for your joy? Where are you going to be satisfied? The truth of the gospel is there is only one source of life. And that is the spring of life that never runs dry. It's the fountain of life that overflows, always promising us life. Jesus begins this teaching by reminding his disciples that I am the true vine. I am the true source of life. And then he says, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, what is the vine dresser? This means that God, he he guides each detail of our growth in him. God is the source He is the author 
of our growth. He is the one who is sovereign over the process of our transformation. Because let me tell you what today is about. Today is not about do, 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 and we need to go out and do more, do more, do more. Those are, that's good and well. Today is about being and seeing who God is. Today is about delight. Today is about understanding who our God is and what he wants to do in and through us. And he is our vine dresser. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus is always using creation to teach, isn't he? As we were reminded in Sunday school this morning, Jesus will use soil to remind his disciples to teach them about what are the different responses to the gospel. What are the different responses to the word of God? Jesus will use something that is unseen in the parable of the soil as far as how the Holy Spirit does it. But here in John 15, he will, he will use something that his disciples can see physically with vine and branches. He gives the soil. He tills the soil. He waters the soil. He takes out what needs to be removed. He gives the soil its oxygen. And every part of life, as God does all of that for his creation, Jesus is saying the same is true of us. He's doing everything in our lives. He is the one who is doing the work. This is why Paul, when he writes in Philippians 2, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Paul has already given them what Christ has done for them in the gospel. It is finished. Those three words from the cross are always the three words that guide our growth and godliness. God's the one who waters. God is the one who plants. God is the one who works. And there are two specific things that, this, that our vine dresser does in John 15. Look here with me again. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he does the first thing is he takes away. He takes away. These are those who reject Christ. These are those who willfully live in a disobedience to God's commands. These are those who say, I know better. I know best. These are those who say, I don't need God in my life. Psalm 14, verse 2, David writes that the fool says in his heart that there is no God. This is the Psalm 14, verse 2 man. Those who say, say there is no God. These are those who seek to live dependent of God, independent of God. These are those who have willfully rejected Christ. These are those who would say, I have no need for this in my life. But he, does, he removes, and then secondly, he prunes. And these are those who are saved and are united to Christ by faith. Now, pruning kind of sounds like a hard word for some of us, right? But where's Nick Blaylock? Nick Blaylock, Dave, you got your mic? Nick is our master gardener. You didn't expect to preach this morning, did you? Nick, come on up here. All right, come on. Nick takes care of our rose garden, and he is the master gardener. Now, I want you to explain to our Church family, what does pruning do? And why is it important? Promotes growth. It promotes growth, all right? Promotes growth in a certain way. Okay, in a certain way. How does it promote growth in a certain way? Well, we cut off one branch to grow in its place. 
you learned something. We, you want to do the invitation this morning? All right. So, uh, but, but, but it promotes growth, right? The Lord is seen as one who prunes. Pruning is a good thing. Pruning helps us understand God's character. Pruning is conviction of sin. He prunes us when he stops us in our tracks from committing sin. He prunes us when we desire the flesh over the spirit. He prunes us when he grows us in the life of his church. God prunes his people so that we'll be more and more like him. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians that we are transferred, we are transformed from what? One degree of glory to the next. And in the in-between, we are being pruned because he's preparing us for great things and a great work. So he does two things. He removes and he prunes. Look at verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. I love this reminder from our Savior. Jesus is reminding them that your hearts have been transformed because of the word that I've spoken to you. This will define Jesus' prayer in John 17 in praying for his disciples. It is God's word that purifies and prunes his people, isn't it? It's the teaching of Christ. It is his gospel that prunes and makes us clean. It purifies us. I want, to, I want to encourage you this morning, Bear Cove. If you are in Christ, if you have been transformed by his grace, and if you are following him, you have everything you need to abide in him. If you've been saved, you have all you need to encounter abiding grace. How are we made clean? How are we made right? Remember Proverbs A man is made right by the word of God. We need the word of God. This is, again, it's why we need the word of God. The word of God is the way, the truth, and the life to our lives. As Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the same is true of the word of God for the church today. It is the way, the truth, and the life. And we will bear fruit when we delight in God's word. This is why the psalmist in Psalm 119, 107, he said this, I am severely afflicted. Lord, Lord, heal me according to your word. If you need healing this morning, I want to assure you this morning, it can be found in the word of God. Verse 4, Jesus will say, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, I'm sorry, abide in me and I and you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, because of who you are and because of what God has done, take action by abiding. The gospel calls us to evaluate our hearts, but it also calls us to evaluate our actions and our attitudes. Jesus is saying to abide and to take action based on who God is and what he has done. 
Let me share with you very briefly a story about a pastor, a pastor many years ago who had, who had fallen. He had to resign ministry. And even to this day, he is, not, he is not back in ministry, and I'm not sure that he ever will be. But this pastor made a very important point. He said he had gotten involved in the way of the world. He had lost sight of who God was and what God was doing in his life. His family life began to crumble because his life began to crumble. His relationship with his wife and his children began to be chaos. And he was interviewed, and in this interview, he made a very important point. He said, the moment that I forgot to abide in Christ is the moment that my life became a mess. The moment that I forgot to abide in Christ is the moment that my life became a mess. Friend, hear me this morning. That's not just true for pastors. That's true for you. And it's true for us as a church. The moment that we forget to delight in God and we think that we can be people apart from the vine, we think that we can do things apart from Him, is the moment when you can see a church begin to be destroyed. The same is true for us all, that when we forget to abide in Him, our lives will become chaos and full of darkness. And perhaps this morning you're thinking, man, I'm glad that's not me. Brothers and sisters, there's an enemy who's roaring around like a roaring lion to devour your soul. And it's when we find delight in him and we abide in him that the enemy, that's what really makes the enemy mad. When we love and we find our delight in God, when all of our affections are focused upward. So we see first our roots, but we secondly, in verses 5 through 9, we see his results. All this takes place for the glory of God. We see his results and that our abiding in Christ produces much fruit for his glory. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anything done in this life apart from Christ is is worthless and will die in hell. Anything that is done apart from him will not last. 2020 is a new year for our family. We're trying to to make some some things a priority. You know, our kids are young, but you're starting as we're starting. The the older we get, the more we want to make sure we have everything in order. We want to make sure that everything is taken care of. And those are, good, those are good things. We want the Lord to give us wisdom as we make those decisions. But if we do those things apart from seeking His counsel, they're all going to burn one day. Only what's done for Christ will last. You can do a lot of good things in life, right? You can, you can do all kinds of things. But if they're not done with a proper eternal perspective... They will lose their power. Verse 6, we see this picture of fire. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. 
And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Verse 6 is giving us a picture of what happens to those who reject Christ. Ezekiel chapter 15, we see that uh, the picture of a vine failing to produce fruit is good for nothing but to be burned in the fire. We think about one of Jesus' disciples, Judas. He was good for nothing. He wasn't a true follower of Jesus. He loved the world more than he did Jesus. Here's the truth of verse 6, is that those who fail to follow Christ will one day be burned in the lake of fire. They will die not only just in darkness and in separation, but those who reject Christ, Scripture reminds us, that they will encounter and experience eternal conscious torment from the evil one for eternity. This is why our evangelism is so important, because we want to call people to the vine. We want to call people to repentance and trust in Jesus. Verse 7, and here's a verse here that, that has often been misinterpreted by many in the prosperity movement. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It's a verse that has often been taken way out of context. What does Jesus mean when he says, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you? Jesus doesn't say, if you ask for a Mercedes, he'll give you a Mercedes. Jesus doesn't say, if you ask for the nicest of material things, that he will give you the nicest of material things. Do you know what Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's teaching us in this passage? He's teaching us that when you abide in Christ and are in close fellowship with him, you will ask for the right thing. You will ask for what is good, not what pleases man and self, but what pleases God. Ask whatever you want if you abide in Jesus, because you'll know what to ask. So we see this in the book of Acts. We see his disciples asking for the right things. What do they ask for? Just a few of them. They ask for strength and persecution. They ask for power to transform the world with the gospel. They ask for endurance to live faithfully. They ask for trust in his sovereignty. And they ask for a love to see his kingdom expand. All of those things please God. Ask whatever you want. If you're in Jesus, ask him for those things and he will be faithful to give it to you. And perhaps the two most important words in this passage, by this. By this. You want to glorify God? You want to live for his glory? You want to see him work in your life? Hopefully we would all want that. Jesus says that by your abiding close fellowship with him, he will glorify himself. You may be walking through a difficult season this morning. If you're abiding in Jesus, he will be glorified. You may be experiencing the peace of God and a wonderful season of life. He will be glorified if you're in close fellowship with him. If you are pursuing him wholeheartedly. 
by this. Jesus says, by this, my abiding, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Here's just the simple truth of this verse, verse 8. The more we pursue God, God will keep producing fruit. Fruit is not a one-time event. Fruit, it's the gift that God keeps on producing in us for his glory. Every day is an opportunity to bear fruit because he is close to us. Finally, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide, abide in my love. This is the application. We're called to love others as God has loved us. We are called to love our brothers and sisters as God has loved us in the gospel. If we live this out, what can we see God do at Bear Cove Baptist Church? If we are a people who abide in Christ, what can we see God do in Bear Cove Baptist Church? Let me share with you first. We can see God powerfully move in our church. We can see God powerfully move when we are abiding in him. Because our hearts are being transformed. Our minds, our souls are being transformed because we're just a bunch of people that are clinging to the vine. We can expect God to bless us in power if we are a people who abide in him. He also promises to produce beautiful fruit at Bear Cove if we abide in him. If we are a people who are surrendered to his lordship and trusting him, he will produce beautiful fruit in our lives. Why? Because the third truth is this. God is not done with Bear Cove Baptist Church. God desires to display his glory in us as his people. And if we will lift this out, he promises to do it. I want to close this morning by sharing with you a story. My daughter is now kind of into the cartoon thing. And Saturday morning, we watched a cartoon yesterday, and she's into this show now called Pinkalicious and Peterific. Pray for your pastor, okay? Um, but P, P, anybody watch this show, Pinkalicious? Uh-oh, wait, there, there you go, all right? We got some hands raised. We'll pray for you too, all right? But Pinkalicious and Peterific. And yesterday's show was about their mom made this big old glitter launcher. And this girl got really excited. She wanted to color the world in glitter. And she was coloring everything with glitter. The house and everything was glitterized. And she got really excited about this. Well, Peter got excited at first. But Peter got bored. He got tired of the glitter. On all the men said, amen, right? He got tired of the glitter. So he gets bored with the glitter. I just don't want to do this anymore. It dawned on me in watching that yesterday. Everything's an illustration for a pastor, just FYI. Um, <laughs> but yesterday watching that, you know, it dawned on me how quick we are to become bored with God. Church, we have the Word of God. We have Him and we want to we want to be excited about that. We want to we want to display his glory for all to see and my, my fear is that the church in America today has just become flat out bored with God. May it never be said of us that we're bored with him. He's always wanting to do something in us and through us for his 
glory. And we want the whole world to be transformed because of his love for us. Let's pray. This morning, as your head is bowed and you're in an attitude of prayer, I want to ask you something this morning. Are there some areas in your life that need pruning? Are there some areas in your life that need cleansing? Are there some areas in your life that you've just been holding on to and you failed to surrender them at the feet of Jesus? Are you saved this morning? Do you know Christ? Have you ever abided in Him? Would today be the day that you respond to His call of salvation? Would you trust Jesus today for salvation? As we sing... If you want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of life today, would you come to this altar? Would you receive him? Would you surrender your life to him? Would you repent from your sin and trust him for salvation? And this morning, if you're, you're in a place where you, you're holding on to some things that you need to release to him and you would like prayer, you are invited to this altar as well. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that we would be people who find our greatest delight in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?